Before I dive in today, uh, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge the efforts of our four emerging gen preachers through the month of July. Uh, I know that when I invited uh, Jen and Maddie and Owen and Courtney into sharing what God was on, what God put on their heart, uh, I knew that they would give their best for us. I knew that they would engage in uh, the discipline of the preparation process, that they'd be faithful to that, they'd give God and us uh, their very best. But what I hope that we can appreciate is through those efforts, uh, just how prophetic their contributions and their voice has been to the life and season uh, of our church family how prophetic their messages are for us personally and together to consider giving God our yes or consider who it is that we're for or think about how we can leverage the spiritual power of the table to a greater degree or how we can appreciate the fierceness of God's love. If you haven't seen those talks yet, uh, I would really encourage you to go back and uh, watch them. And uh, if you have watched them and been blessed by them, and uh, one of those uh, emerging gen speakers is in your location, be sure to stop and encourage them. Give them a high five, uh, show your appreciation for the gift that they've given us personally and as a community this past month. Uh, now that it's August though, uh, we're gonna switch gears. And I wanted to start today by uh, kind of sharing a, a bit of a conversation that I had with some friends recently that started with a, a very simple question. Just asked one of my friends how they were doing, and I was not prepared for the weightiness of their response. Because they replied to that question honestly and vulnerably and uh, explained very quickly that they were actually quite overwhelmed and exhausted, and not just in a physical way, although that was true, they described themselves being bagged at the end of every workday and requiring naps all weekend. It was more of like a mental and emotional exhaustion where they'd lost passion for the things that they loved and things that they were really good at, they found were very difficult to do. Even the motivation to do the most simple tasks had become difficult for them. You know, they. They talked about the struggle of like appointments and, uh, you know, commitments on the calendar. They were like mountains to climb, you know, in, in their spirit. And the worst part, as they described it, was this fog that made it difficult to even know what the next step was or what to do next in order to get out of the funk that they were in. And uh, they used the language of burnout to describe what they were feeling just as the best way to encapsulate all of the physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion that they were feeling. Well, as they shared that, it seemed to kind of open the vulnerability floodgates of some others. And all of a sudden, if I was surprised by their response, I was even more surprised by what happened next because person after person started to share their experience of being overwhelmed and exhausted and maybe even burnt out and shared experiences of so many friends and family members and colleagues who you know, were on leaves of absence these days. And you know, again and again and again, I listened to these stories and it felt like this common theme was kind of emerging, listening to the stories of people who after a couple years of battling all of the trauma and grief and division and polarization and, uh, and weariness of the pandemic, not that we're out of the pandemic yet, but after a couple years of, of dealing with all of that, had launched right back into the everyday pace of their lives without kind of recovering 
from this past season. And the way that I was kind of describing it, I said, guys, it, it, it sounds like you've gone from the battlefield back to the treadmill with no recovery in between. And that seemed to kind of resonate with their spirits and with the nature of the conversation. If you're in that place today, feeling like you've been in a season where you've been going from the battlefield of the pandemic back to the treadmill or the rat race of pre or post pandemic life with no recovery in between and are starting to feel the effects of that, I want you to know that this series this month is for you because we're basically gonna tackle two main questions, wondering, first of all, what does it look like for people to experience legitimate recovery in our lives? And on top of that, what would it look like moving forward to build the kind of behaviors and patterns and rhythms and structures in order to experience a life of ongoing recovery so that we're not just surviving, but actually thriving, right? That conversation kind of drove the thinking behind what we sense God wants to do in us personally and among us together as a church family this month. And of course, it should be said, you know, we know what we shouldn't do to experience that kind of recovery, and that is wait for our circumstances or the season to change. For so many of us, we can wait for the challenging or difficult or stressful circumstances to change, and sometimes they don't, or if they do, there are new difficult, stressful circumstances that emerge, and it just goes on and on and on. Or in other cases, we'll describe the era that we're in as a difficult season, but then that season will prolong past a season into seasons, or seasons will bleed into other difficult seasons, and pretty soon it's a number of years, and we're starting to feel the effects of burnout or exhaustion or really deep depletion. And it, it kind of begs the wisdom of Ecclesiastes chapter 11, where it says there, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Meaning if you wait for, for perfect conditions, nothing is ever gonna productively happen because waiting for per perfect conditions is never gonna happen because you'll never be in perfect conditions. So for us to expect that the world out there will fill our tanks in here, is a miss, and just a, a myth that, that isn't true. Thankfully, though, God provides a way for us to experience a deep, soul-filling, tank-filling kind of recovery. His way that he demonstrated, even in his own character, described very early on in the pages of the Bible. You look in the second chapter, in Genesis chapter 2, it says there, by the seventh day of creation, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I don't know if you've heard this before, many of you have probably heard this many times, but, but I wonder if we could just pause and reflect on the significance of this, that an all-powerful, all-knowing, kind of ever-present being chose consciously and deliberately to rest. God himself chose to rest. The passage doesn't say that God was tired, doesn't say that God was burnt out or exhausted, but it does say that God, even in that all-powerful nature, chose to deliberately engage in the practice 
of rest. God chose to be proactive in experiencing recovery. So it shouldn't surprise us then that then we, when we center ourselves around the person of Jesus and we look at the life of Jesus as God in human form, that we see Jesus living out that way of life and pattern as well. For example, in John chapter 6, it says that Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus withdrew Again, and this is in the middle of his three-year public ministry, the formal time where he actually got down to the business of sharing and demonstrating the wonder and, and, and of, of God's life-changing message of love. But in those three years, it wasn't just to put your nose to the grindstone, urgent way of life. Jesus built in these rhythms of restfulness and recovery where it says, for example, he withdrew. Or it says in the passage that he withdrew again, or that he went to the mountains, that he experienced nature. There are other examples where he went boating, or he had a, a nap on a boat, or he feasted with his friends, or he ate food on the Sabbath just because he was hungry and needed to be filled, or he went to parties to enjoy other people. And time and time and time again, you see that in the life of Jesus, there was more to his life than his ministry. There was more to his life than his ministry, and he chose and built rhythms into his life of recovery that filled his tank again and again. And so when we look at the nature of God, we see that God rose above his circumstances and his season to proactively choose rest and recovery. And we look at the person of Jesus and see that Jesus actively, proactively chose to rise above his circumstances and his seasons and build in recovery. So instead of you and I waiting for the perfect conditions of a ideal circumstance or season, that's never going to happen. We, like Jesus, need to live out God's vision for our lives to proactively embrace the behaviors and practices of recovery. We have to choose to rise above the circumstances and season of our lives to take care of ourselves, to allow our tanks to fill. Now, for those of us who've been tracking for some time in this life of faith, especially in our church family, you might find that statement surprising and maybe even counterintuitive to what you understand the life is that God intends that Jesus invites us into. A life that we often describe around here as others-oriented, self-sacrificing, and privilege-relinquishing because that is the life that God envisioned that Jesus demonstrated and now invites followers of his into. But... When Jesus invites people into that way of life, there's kind of an assumption or, or a precondition that he presupposes he's inviting us into that's worth clarifying in a conversation like this. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 9, for example. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? I love this translation because in, in some of the other gospel accounts, Jesus is quoted as saying, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit their soul? 
they gain the world and lose their soul. Because sometimes that gets interpreted as a contrast between this life and the next life, between, you know, kind of the world that we live in and eternity. And for sure, Jesus teaches in other places, like in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy them, store up your treasures in heaven. Jesus wants us to have a focus more on the next life and more on eternity than this life. But I like this paraphrase because that's not what he's speaking to when he talks about your soul. When he talks about your soul, he's not talking about the part of you that kind of lives on for eternity. He's talking about your essence. He's talking about our being, our very self, our fullest version of most realized potential, the very best version of ourselves. And what he's saying is that there's no use living out the fullness of life on earth if we lose ourselves in the process. And so the very life that Jesus invites us into presupposes a full self coming to it. In fact, when he reduced the commandments, you know, the 613 commandments down to one commandment, this, this two-dimensional life of love for God and people, and he says, you got to, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says this after that in Matthew 22, 39, among other places in the gospels, he says, and love your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor as yourself, implying that we can't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength unless we're bringing a full all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to God to love. And similarly, we can't love our neighbor as ourselves until we're loving ourselves, and not in a vain or like narcissistic kind of self-oriented, selfish kind of a way, but in the kind of self-care that God wants to have for us. You need to appreciate that the God and others oriented life that Jesus demonstrated and now invites his followers in presupposes that we're living that life from a full tank. So let's be clear today that self-care isn't self-ish. Self-care isn't self-ish. It's the way we bring our best to God and people in the life that Jesus invites us into as followers of his. And so over the course of this next month, uh, we're going to spend some time investing in that in a season in the month of August that we kind of hope circumstantially lends itself to that in our lives. Hopefully for many of us, we can take advantage of the warmer weather. Hopefully for many of us, we've got at least a little bit of vacation time or some weekend getaways or whatever, where we can kind of leverage some circumstances to engage in this. But beyond that, we wanna actually dig into what it will look like for us to rise above our circumstances and our seasons. And like God demonstrated through Jesus, proactively choose the way of self-care to tend to our souls and fill our tanks and experience this wonder of recovery. Beyond envisioning it today and reminding us that self-care isn't self-ish, uh, we're gonna look next week at kind of some emergency ways that we can experience recovery, especially for those of us who are kind of at that point or maybe past the point of burnout and exhaustion. 
We're going to look at how to evaluate where we're at and how to triage crisis situations. And then the next week, we're going to start looking a little more long term at the responsibility for soul care and who we ought to look to and who we ought not to look to. And then in the final week, we're going to look at what kind of practical habits and rhythms and structures and commitments we need to establish in the ongoing rhythm of our lives to experience this equilibrium of soul care and restfulness and recovery in an ongoing way so that we can live out the vision that Jesus has for our lives that he describes among other places in John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that people may have life and have it to the full. Understand, Jesus didn't invite us in to a life of emptying ourselves to perpetually live on empty. He invites us into a life of loving God and people from a full tank where we experience all the fullness of the life that he came to bring. And the good news is that Jesus didn't just demonstrate that. He lived and died and rose again to make his Holy Spirit available to empower that and to equip us to become more like that and experience more of that in our lives. As we commit in partnership with him, with each other, to live proactively above our circumstances and seasons, to proactively choose a life of self-care, to live a tank-filled life. I don't know how many of you need that these days. I know that in my world, starting you know in the month of August and you know kind of looking to the busier season in September, I certainly do. In fact, one of the kind of commitments that I've made over the last number of years to try to build more of a restful rhythm in my life is uh, kind of incorporating a longer, like a three-week break in the month of July. And for the second year in a row, I've been able to experience a three-week break in the month of July. But it was about kind of 10 or so days, right around the middle of uh, my, my summer break in July, that we had this experience just after dinner where all of a sudden we heard this beeping coming out of our garage, like a beep, and it just never ended. And uh, so we looked to see what it was, and apparently there was an issue with the trunk of Becky's car. And so Becky went out to kind of deal with it, and you know, I stayed in the house and could hear this beep, and it, it kind of continued for some time. And so finally I felt like, you know, maybe she could use my help. And so I, I did what you know I do in my technical knowledge of cars. Uh, I started Googling, and uh, so as I started searching what was going on, I, I discovered some chats that revealed that this was actually kind of a common thing, and uh, it was maybe a, a defect about the trunk, and that it was under warranty. It was no problem. You just had to take it into a dealership, and in the meantime, you had to disconnect the battery to make the beeping go away. So we went outside and explained it to Becky, and thankfully we had a, a tech-handy neighbor who could come over and, and give us a hand with it and get the beeping to go away. So the next day, we brought the car in to kind of get it serviced and, and looked at. And uh, so, of course, that means, you know, you got to take a trip in and then take a shuttle back and take the shuttle back to pick up the car afterwards. And through that diagnostic trip, they said, yeah, the, the trunk is warrantied, but uh, we don't have the parts. You'll have to book an appointment next week. So we sort of wasted those trips to sort of get diagnostics happening, but we were going to get it fixed the next week. So the next week comes, and we take the car in to, to get the trunk fixed, and Becky was working that day, so when they said it was fixed, they called me, and I called the shuttle guy again to come pick me up, got to know him real well on my summer break, good old Graham from the car dealership, good guy, and uh, went back in to pick up this car, but I get into this car, and all of a sudden, it starts beeping as I start driving it away. 
And I'm thinking, what is happening? I run back in, talk to the service guy. And I said, hey, did you know the car's still beeping? He said, no, show me. And I showed him, he kind of followed along as I was driving it. He said, let me get in. And so I sat on the curb while he was driving it around and all of a sudden he disappeared and sitting there on the curb at the car dealership and five and 10 and 15 minutes pass and he's, he's gone, There's, he's disappeared. And I'm sitting there thinking, like it's on one of those like 40 degree hot days, I'm thinking, is this how I'm supposed to get a sunburn on my summer break, like on the curb of a car dealership on Lake Street? So finally I go in, I talk to him and he said, yeah, we've got to, we've got to kind of put it back in and fix some other stuff and you know, just be a few more minutes, so have a seat. So sitting in the car dealership, about 45 minutes goes by, people are bringing me waters and trying to sell me cars, I'm tempted to buy them. And, you know, finally he comes back and he says, yeah, he said, we got it fixed. At least we got the, the beeping to go away. Uh, the trunk won't open automatically. It'll only open manually. Um, there are some other parts that are still on back order that we'll have to get another time. And I looked at him and I'm thinking, you know, I've spent probably an hour and a half at this car dealership. We were there the day before or, or the week before. You know, we spent an evening trying to get this beeping done. We got another appointment now to get it fixed. And I, I just had this little kind of pity party with myself, feeling like, how am I supposed to rest these days? And I've set aside this time and there's all this going on. How am I supposed to actually be rested? Because right now I'm not rested. I'm feeling irritated and stressed about this thing and kind of annoyed. And, and it was at that time that I realized, you know what? If you wait for perfect conditions, it's never gonna happen. And like God, through Jesus, I've got to make the choice in my life to rise above the circumstances and rise above the seasons, and rise above the pandemics and rise above the work busyness and rise above the car repairs and rise above what everyday life is going to throw at me if I'm going to have the kind of full tank that's going to be bring the very best of me to God in the life that he invites me into. If I'm going to bring my best to my family, if I'm going to bring my best to this church community, if I'm going to bring my best to following Jesus, I've got to take the responsibility to care for myself. And so do you. So I hope that if this tracks with you, you'll join us in this month. I hope that if you know people who are struggling in this way or could benefit from these talks, that you invite them to experience this together so that personally and together, we can learn what it means to recover and to proactively choose to rise above the seasons and circumstances that we find ourselves in to care for ourselves and care for our souls in order to live full, tank-filled lives with God and with each other. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to thank you today that you love us so much that the life you invite us into isn't just one of output that you actually lived and died and rose again to empower and invite us into a full life, into life to the full. And I pray that we would embrace that today and more than that, that we would embrace our role in that and that participating with you in caring for ourselves isn't selfish, that we can differentiate selfishness from self-care and we can this month learn what it means to care for ourselves and care for our souls and engage in the kind of tank-filling experiences that will help us legitimately recover. I pray especially for those who are at that point of exhaustion or burnout or have gone straight from the battlefield of the pandemic to the treadmill of everyday life without any recovery and are really feeling it. I pray that this month of August could be really significant for them.
and that you would meet us right where we're at and that we could learn to experience your love in fuller, deeper, more profound ways than maybe ever before as personally and together as a church family, we learn the behaviors and habits of self-care so that we can love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and love our neighbor as we're learning to love ourselves. Thank thank you that you want to do that work in us. We so look forward to that and we love you, Jesus. We pray. Amen.